The content of this podcast contains topics of sexual violence and abuse, as well as suicidal ideation. Please listen with care. And if you're struggling with mental health, please call 1-800-273-8255 or reach out to a mental health professional. Binstock and you're listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. My story of childhood sexual abuse was a long hidden secret that manifested in a host of mental, emotional, physical, and intellectual challenges. As a child and even into adulthood, I couldn't connect how the abuse changed the trajectory of my life. And my guest today is Patrice Griffin, founder of Patrice's Kids and author of The Unconscious Community, a memoir about her own experience of childhood abuse, which was just released this past fall. And I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. The only reason why I'm not finished is because my children, my children kept interrupting. But um, Patrice, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, as someone who was affected by childhood sexual abuse and found a way to really thrive, you know, it's, it's incredible. I still have a long journey for me for of healing to do, but you have, you've really done so much. You've created legislation that has helped give, you know, more time for victims to get justice. And you've written a book, like I was just saying, The Unconscious Community, and you've created this amazing foundation, Patrice's Kids. Um, first off, I do want to know a little bit about your story. I'm sure my listeners will as well. So um, would you be able to tell us about your story and why you decided to write your book? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, uh, I went through a lot of trauma growing up um, from age uh, eight all the way to, to about around age 18 years old. Um, and so I had a lot of healing, a lot of, you know, things in the process, you know, um, addiction to drugs at a very young age, uh, obviously due to no fault of my own, but still nonetheless, that was the issue. A lot of uh, sexual abuse <clears throat> from family and among other other individuals. Uh, so it was, it was a very, very trying process for me, very difficult, very emotional. Uh, and I had to, you know, go through the healing process, so to speak, um, a lot of therapy, uh, medication, things like that. But uh, I'm one of the lucky ones, honestly, you know, because uh, I went through such a deep depression, you know, uh, that it really, it took me out, you know what I mean? Emotionally, physically, I just wasn't there. So thankfully, you know, I had, uh, and it's weird because I had like strangers out of the blue, just helping me left and right, you know? So I'm really grateful to the officer that like saved my life. Uh, I was homeless at one point, uh, you know, as a young kid sleeping on the trains in New York City for about two years. Uh, and they found me, they helped me. So, you know, I didn't go through this process all by myself. You know, I had help in the process. But yeah, so I went through a lot of trauma, a lot of sexual abuse growing up. And, uh, you know, I'm here today, thankfully. Uh, and the goal and my passion has been for, for quite a while is to bring awareness to child sexual abuse. Uh, make people aware of, you know, the, the effects of it, the damage that it does, 
Uh, hopefully parents can do a better job raising their children with the information that I'm providing on my website. Uh, and so I wrote the book to let survivors know that they weren't alone because there was a point in my life when I felt like nobody would understand the emotion that I'm going through, the up and down roller coaster of emotions. You know, one, one minute I'm happy, next minute I'm sad, I have no idea why. Uh, it's uncontrollable, as most survivors do. I'm not the only one, you know, but I felt like that at the time. So this book is basically just saying, look, you're not by yourself. I understand the strange feelings and things and, you know, emotions that you go through, the depression that you go through, the suicidality, and you can actually heal through the process. I'm not, I haven't overcome anything. I'm, I, you know, people say, oh, Patricia, you know, you've overcome depression. No, I haven't overcome it. I'm working through the process of healing is what I'm doing. And it's a lifelong process of healing for survivors. So pretty much that's, that's where I'm at today. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I think with what you're doing, finding your passion and helping others not have to go through what you've gone through. I think that's really thriving. I think healing is really a roller coaster ride, right? It's like, you know, when I first, when I first you know, got treatment, I was like, okay, I'm great. I'm going to be great. And this is going to be change my life. But then I remember slipping back into a depression and thinking, oh my God, I failed. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm -hmm. I I'm, I'm worthless. What did I go through all this for? But then I realized it's just a roller coaster ride. You kind of just have to keep your head in the game and it, and it, and it gets easier when you find your passion, when you figure out like, I'm here to do good. And because I can imagine um, that with everything that had happened to you, you you felt that sense of self-hate and worthlessness, right? Absolutely. And so I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was was just saying, absolutely. um, I agree with you. Um, You know, there was a point in my life where I just didn't love myself, you know, Um, where I felt like, because of all the things that happened to me, all the trauma that I've experienced that, you know, who would love me? I'm worthless. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, as they say, a damaged goods. That's how I felt. I felt like damaged goods. And so when you don't, when you don't have that self-love and you feel worthless, like nothing really matters, you know, you have nothing to live for. But <clears throat> I learned over time that every single person on this planet, no matter what you've been through, they have a purpose. And so I found my purpose. Uh, a lot of people don't. And, you know, but the goal is always to find your purpose, find out what, what, you know, why are you here? I mean, I'm sure I I could be doing other things had I not gone through the trauma that I went through. I could could have been doing different things. Who knows? But this is where I am today. Uh, But, you know, it's a struggle. I I mean, every day I don't love myself. I mean, I don't think anybody loves themselves every single day. I mean, it's a process for us survivors. It's, you know, and it's, it's a very painful process, but we have to go through it in order to heal. But yeah, uh, like you said, uh, not being happy with yourself, not feeling beautiful or, or handsome or, or pretty or whatever the situation is, because they, they've taken something from you that you can't ever get back. So it's, it's difficult, but we're here. Nonetheless, yeah. we're pushing forward, you know? Right. And oh. I can imagine you felt that since the abuse started at a very young age, that that your innocence was taken away and that's why you feel like investing in children and, and finding, helping them find their purpose. And um, can you tell me about Patrice's kids? Yeah. So I started Patrice's kids uh, back in 2018, still very small nonprofit, but 
I wanted to bring awareness uh, to child sexual abuse. That was the goal. Uh, you know, along alongside of people like um, Gary Greenberg, uh, Marcy Hamilton, uh, Catherine Robb, Esquire, those individuals along with other survivors, we were able to get the Child Victims Act passed. So with that, you know, with, with survivors being able to, uh, you know, have some sort of, seek some sort of justice, I said, you know what, it's important to seek justice, but it's important to be educated. So a lot of parents, especially young parents, they're just leaving their kids with people that they don't really know, uh, you know, family members, just, just being, you know, just doing things that's not helpful or conducive to the mental health and well-being of the child. And so I figured, you know what, let me try to, you know, do my best to teach people about what I've been through, let them know what not to do what to do, how to educate your, you know, how to educate your children and child sexual abuse, how to talk to them about, you know, boundaries, inappropriate behavior, um, talking to kids about, you know, you know, uh, just the body parts, which is a huge thing. A lot of parents are like coming up with these crazy names, like body parts, you know, yeah. and I'm like, no, you have to use the appropriate words so that they're able to defend themselves and say, mom or dad, such and such touched me here, or this bothers me but they didn't know. So I started a series, I hired um, some mental health professionals and I started a series of child sexual abuse prevention uh, training programs. So you can go on and log on at any time, it's free. I'm not charging you anything, just, just to get educated. It's at patriciuskids.com. But we also do events. Um, I do give back to the community, doing like Christmas events, uh, school drive, back to school drive, things like this. Uh, recently, I partnered with my gems far Houston. I'm out here in Houston, Texas, and uh, we also we put together like a toy drive, and we adopted um, a foster care agency in Houston called Casa Hope. Uh, and so, you know, we brought toys and shoes, and I partnered with another friend from an organization called Soul Love, and she was able to give each child, a, a, you know, a brand new pair of shoes. And I think it's so important to give these kids these things because they're already in a situation where they didn't ask to be in this situation. But a little bit of hope, a little bit of love, letting people know that, hey, we still care about you. We know that you exist, you know, and here you go. We want you to have a wonderful Christmas. We want you to go to school with nice sneakers on. We, want, we don't want you to feel left out, you know, because they're mm -hmm. having a rough time as it is. So yeah, so bringing awareness to it, uh, teaching adults, educating parents, uh, and also, giving back to the community, which is very important because again, like I said, I was homeless and people gave back to me. So I'm just, just really just trying to pay it forward. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. You were talking about having to have these conversations with children, like name your body parts, um, another and, and consent. And I, you know, as a child, I remember, you know, my parents, if there was a, a relative that would visit, they would make me hug them. Even if I felt uncomfortable, they're like, they would shame me into hugging this person. And, you know, with my children, we teach my children, we, we teach our children um, boundaries. They don't have people, you don't have to hug somebody else. You don't have to touch somebody else if you don't want to, you know, I think they use the phrase, my body, my choice way more than they should. Um, especially when I'm trying to like feed them food and, and vegetables. And they're just like, my body, my choice. I said, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but they, you know, I think that is a big deal because when you, 
even when you get to be eight, you don't know, like if someone, if another relative is touching you inappropriately, you don't know if you're supposed to kind of push your shame aside and just do whatever. But, you know, I, I, when I was in your book, you talked about your first encounter with sexual abuse and this was by a relative. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did that make you feel? And how did you, how did, how did that keep going on? Did you feel like you couldn't say anything? Well, so, okay. So I guess basically uh, with, it was with my cousin and, you know, because she was my cousin, it's like, what are you doing? I mean, I'm eight years old. I didn't have the, you know, the comprehension or, or the mindsets to think no one ever had taught me about sexual abuse. I didn't know that about this touching stuff. I knew it was weird. I knew it was uncomfortable, but I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't, I didn't know how to say no because nobody even taught me to defend myself. So it was just like, it just kept going on and on up until about the age of 12. Uh, eventually she stopped it. Um, I believe it's because I got too old for her, but uh, yeah, like, I, I knew nothing about protecting myself, defending myself, saying no, or, or anything like that. So it just pretty much kept going on and on from age eight to about 12 years of age. And you didn't feel like you could tell anyone? Uh, you know, you have to trust people in order to tell, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, and that's why I stress that to parents a lot. Like you have to, you have to be in a position and although I don't have kids, and I did raise my niece, um, you have to be in a position where your child feels comfortable enough to tell you anything. That's why the open line of communication is so important. You know, educating your child early. You know, as soon as they start getting teeth, start talking to them, you know? Like, literally, you know, these kids are smart. Smarter than what we were growing up. So um, I think it's important to, you know, just give them that information. And that's something I never received growing up, you know? I'm not blaming anyone, but... It's just something I didn't get. So therefore I didn't know how to protect or defend myself. Yeah. Well, I, that, that makes sense if you don't trust anyone. And I felt like I was kind of in the same place. I didn't, you know, when your parents aren't, when you don't have that bond with your parents, the thing is I had that bond with my dad, right? My mom, you know, my mom had me when she was almost 40, um, and I kind of, you know, she kind of made it apparent that I kind of ruined her life by, you know, existing. Um, but, you know, I trusted my dad right. and I thought my dad was my hero. And then he started abusing me mm-hmm. around eight, nine years old. I don't, I blocked a lot of it out. So I don't even really remember the age. And then you really, it's really hard to trust anyone when yeah. you don't have anyone to turn to. Um and after that, you know, I began to self-harm, you know, I had suicide attempts at the age of 13. I got in drugs. It, you know, I was later diagnosed with ADHD because I guess, you know, I was trying to get it out of my head. Um, but, you know, I didn't realize I was struggling with PTSD through all of that. I thought I was just not smart. I thought I was just like, you know, uh, something was just wrong with me. I always had these problems with my self-worth. There was a suicide attempt at 25 when I was actually taken to a psych ward. I woke up mm-hmm. in a psych ward and they just diagnosed me bipolar. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't until just last year. So 10 years later, I realized it was just PTSD um, um, from the abuse. And what, when did you realize that you struggled with PTSD? Because you dealt with a complex trauma. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess it's when, uh, when my therapist told me, I, I felt like, I, I literally felt like after I had, you know, left the drug program and, you know, and even though I was homeless, I, I didn't know I was suffering from PTSD. I had no idea. I just thought I was sad, you know, and like you, like yourself, I blocked out a lot of things, you know, I didn't know, I wasn't thinking about, oh, that was sexual abuse. I didn't think any of that, you know, I just knew that I felt like, like you said, I, I felt like I wasn't smart. I wasn't doing very well in school. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't trust people. I still don't trust a lot of people till this day. I have a very, I don't even have a circle. <laughs> Some people say they have a circle. I have like a line, you know, it's like <laughs> two or three people in my life that I actually even deal with or trust. But yeah, so, you know, ha having to, you know, having to find out that you have PTSD because I was diagnosed with bipolar. I was like, I mean, so many, I had like 96 different, you know, diagnoses until finally the VA hospital, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, they've been a great support system. They're the ones that said, no, you've been suffering from major PTSD and mood disorder. That's, that's what, that's what's been going on. And so they've been helping me uh, work through this process uh, since about 2003, 2004. Uh, I'm still in therapy, but yeah, like, Literally, I was in the hospital. I was hospitalized at the VA for suicide attempts probably like maybe six or seven times, you know, like, and I realized that it wasn't that I literally wanted to die. I wanted to take away the pain that it was causing me to feel that way. The hurt, the anger, the, the distrust, the being angry with, with men, being angry, uh, as you already know, in my book with African-American males, because mm -hmm. that's, they, they, you know, that, that's, that's the abuse that where it came from. So I was done with a lot of self-hurt, um, self-hate, uh, just, it was, it was crazy. It was a really, really crazy, crazy time, very emotional time. Uh, but yeah, the PTSD came when I started dealing with the VA hospital and they said, this is what this is and this is what we have to work on. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah that's interesting you bring up that you you had problems trusting African-American men, even if they were there to help you, you right. felt so um, closed off. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm assuming you were just getting triggered by your, the situation that you've right. been put in previously. Mm -hmm. um, what I know, I, I think it, it's amazing when I was reading your book, how many, how many times different people, strangers came to you to aid you and you know reach out to you um and i feel like that's kind of what you're doing now as you know you're you're creating patrice's kids um but did you ever have the guilt of other people kind of trying to help you tr trying to help you out because I, I still feel that Absolutely. I still feel that today. Like if it's weird when someone says, Hey, I mean, if it's, it could be the smallest thing, like a bottle of water, hey, Patrice, I'm going to the store, I'm going to grab a couple of bottles of water. You want some? In my heart, I'm like, why do you want to get bottled water from me? I know it probably sounds weird, but like literally like that's, that's what I go through. But yeah, like even people like, uh, for example, I was sleeping on the train. I didn't have a cold. It's freezing. This one lady was like, 
gave me hot chocolate, $20, and, like, brought me a coat and, like, came back to – I felt guilty. It felt weird because all of the people in my life that I – you know, well, I'm going to say all, but the majority of the people in my life that were supposed to be protecting me, you know, I lost faith in them because I was being harmed, you know? So it's like it's like, you know, a mother and, and, and a child. Like, you, a, a child loves their mom. Their mom could be abusing them. Uh, but they still love their mom because that's all that's all they know. So mm-hmm. it's like it, it was weird. Yeah, like I said, even still today, it's weird when people are like, hey, I, I'll you know I'll I'll give you a drive home or or whatever the situation is. It's like why you know why <laughs> why are you being nice to me? What's your angle? What are you up to? But that's something that I'm working through. You know, uh, like, like I said, it, it's a lifelong process of recovery. But yeah. I'm still kind of like, I don't know about you. (laughs) No, that makes sense. I mean, that there's a lot of distrust and abuse and triggers there. I I can come even with my husband. I'm like, like, you're going to leave me like everybody kind of abandons me. Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's tough. And I think it's tough on him. And I, you know, it's like deep, 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 deep down inside. I know that he really cares and he wants, he really wants to help, but it's, you know, it's buried deep down there under all of the like self-hate and feelings of worthlessness and not feeling enough, you know, and, and I think that's, that's really hard to uncover, you know, in, in your book, you talked about being on the train, you were, you were homeless and sleeping on the, the, the subway yeah. and, then even after all of that and you finally got your apartment there was a point where you you said you couldn't sleep and it was because of when you didn't feel safe when you were on the train Mm -hmm. um can you tell me a little bit about that like how how that affected you how that created this insomnia yeah well i I think you know i lost a lot of sleep obviously you know on the train (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. You know, it's constantly weird people, strange people, you know, getting on the trains all types of night, two, three in the morning. So it's kind of difficult to get uh, appropriate sleep, you know, uh, and then be able to not, you know, again, I was working at the time. So I was getting up, you know, at two, three in the morning, like staying up, like I was sleeping only an hour and a half, two hours and then have to go work a full time job. So it was very difficult. Um, you know, there were situations where, you know, men were inappropriate towards me and I had to, you know really just protect myself and get, get out. And I'm saying, I'm not saying fighting, but like get away from the situation, you know? Uh, so it was pretty scary. Uh, I mean, it was, it was amazing getting an apartment, but you know, I would have nightmares, you know, I wasn't having nightmares when I was on the train because I wasn't getting any sleep. But once I got into a position where I even felt like I was might be getting comfortable, I wasn't comfortable anymore because I didn't know how to be comfortable. So I would wake up in the middle of the night uh, just seeing, you know, well, during the, while I'm dreaming in these nightmares, I'm seeing my abusers, you know, and I'm, and I'm like popping up out of my sleep and like freaking me out, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's like, I can't go back to sleep because I don't want to see those same people abusing me again in my head, you know? So, and then I got, you know, I was kind of accustomed to sleeping on the train. So I would sleep fully clothed, you know, because I always felt like something was about to happen. You know, even still today, I sleep fully clothed, you know, because you're like constantly on high alert and it's crazy that you have to live like that but you know it, it, it kind of just stays with you but I was always on like high alert because I never knew if something was going to happen I was living like I was still homeless I was living on my a bag of clothes even though I had a dresser and bed and things like that and so you know it, it was it was pretty traumatizing it was like re-traumatizing all over again you know it was like being re-victimized all over again but mm-hmm. with the lack of sleep 
So yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, sometimes I'm still like, you know, a little Larry about getting too comfortable. And I don't know if you experienced that, but if I feel like I'm getting too comfortable, things are going too good, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it's that feeling that everything's going so well, something really bad is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When you finally found your voice mm-hmm. to talk about what had happened to oh. you, did your mom find out what had happened to you? What was her response? Uh, yeah, my mom, she, uh, she knows. She knows now uh, what happened. I don't really talk about it, but I'll say this. She knows um, and she understands that what happened to me could have been avoided if I had been protected. Um, but we're still... How can I say that? We're still we're still far along away from getting to a good point at this at this point in time. Uh, there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done. Still a lot of work that needs to be done. But she she now she she's aware she's aware now of the things that happened. Um, she read the book, so she knows everything that happened. Yeah. 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 When I actually told my mom, it was just this past year. When, after I got treatment and told my mom about the abuse. Um, I don't know. I didn't feel she, she believed me, but I, I, I just didn't feel, I don't know. She did feel bad, but you know, a lot of my life, she was just like, you know, there's something wrong with you. Like she just thought I was just this bad kid. Right. right. She didn't realize that there was this abuse that happened and then that this is what happened you know she always told me i was stupid because i wasn't doing well in school you know she always she was not that nice <laughs> um and you know i it caused me to become hypersexual you know in early in my life and so i feel like you know she never equated the abuse to the symptoms of ptsd which those were and I, I still don't think she's, she does. I think she just assumes like I was just a bad teenager and, you know, yes, that the abuse happened to you and that was bad and that should never have happened. But, you know, you, this is still who you are kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, I can relate to that. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's, so, it's so difficult because we're the ones that went through it, you know? So it's like, it, it's hard for them to comprehend everything that we've gone through. I mean, people can say, you know, all the time, you know, your mom, my mom can say, I'm so sorry that happened to you, <clears throat> but it happened, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, I don't think that they'll be able to understand fully the damage that was done. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I don't think that my family can fully appreciate the damage that was done uh, to me as a survivor. I, I think that they're, uh, you know, a lot of them are probably like, well, why don't, why don't you just, you know, kind of move past it? You can't just move past being abused. Like, th- those are like your formative years. You're supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be playing. You're supposed to be eating ices and running up and down the block and getting in trouble and, you know, just all over the place as a child, just enjoying your childhood. And we didn't get that opportunity to fully enjoy our childhoods because we violated, you know, and it does a lot to the psyche. It really does. We don't know who we could have been before this. Right. You know, not to say that we're not good people, not to say that we don't have successful lives or careers. We don't we have no idea what could have been what if we had not been abused. 
you know? That's why I try to educate parents. You've got to pay attention to your children. You have to be all in their business. You have to track their phones. I mean, you have to become a secret service spy when it comes to your kids because they're like 10 steps ahead of you, you know? And they don't realize the danger that they put themselves in when they do certain things. So I don't, I don't think that, I, I, I guess if you have to be a survivor to fully appreciate and understand exactly how we feel and all of the raw emotions that we have to go through on a daily basis, it's hard to be inside of our heads when we've been through so much. So, you know, with the parent thing, it, it, it's tough. It's, I would say it's, it's really, really tough. Yeah. You know, um, after I published my podcast, um, you know, someone reached out to me on, um, um, through Facebook and they were telling me that they were also abused by their cousin. Um, and it was interesting because she told me that she actually told her parents, she told her family and their response was, well, you need to get over it because he's going to be at all of these family events. I mean, what would you say to someone who is struggling to survive and, you know, when they speak up and yes, she's believed, but the family just doesn't care. Right. That's a good question. That's really hard. It's like, you want to strangle the people who said it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know? that's exactly what I said. <laughs> oh, do you understand that this is destroying me? This is, it, it's so hard because it's like people, you know, they don't understand like the damage, you know, like it's so important to just like educate yourself and, you know, and stop telling people, uh, you know, telling your family members, oh, they tell you something, oh, you need to get over it. You don't get over rape. Nobody gets over rape. It's not yeah. something you can just get over, you know? It's not like tripping, you know, you can get back up and everything is okay. No, this is like, I, I honestly, I don't know what, what to say because it's, that's very painful. That's a horrible situation. And I know because I went through it. I told someone in my family and they kind of laughed it off. Like, oh, stop it, you know? Uh, and I kind of left it off too. Like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go back to my abusive situation, you know? So yeah. it's, you know, it's, I would say definitely get professional help. That That's number one. That's because that's priority. I don't care what anyone says. Religion cannot cure depression. Religion cannot stop those emotions and feelings. You can pray all day. And I have nothing against, you know, spirituality for those who are, you know, are into that. That's fine. But Let's be realistic. You need mental health to get through something that destroyed your childhood, something that messed with you mentally, physically, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so I would say definitely professional help, a support system, even if, even if it's from your friends, you know? Because that's where I get my support system. I don't get it from family, I get it from friends. Yeah. Uh, support system and psychological help. That's, that's really my best advice and just, try to keep moving forward, maybe get involved with a, a group of individuals who've been through the same thing as you, you know, like group therapy. I used to do group therapy. That helped a lot. It, it also let me know that, hey, you're not alone. And I had other people to talk to about the same things that I was going through, you know? I actually hated group therapy. I, I, I hated the idea of group therapy. I didn't actually go to group. I actually was just anxious about going to group therapy. But you're right. When I did, that changed a lot because- right. I realized, oh, there are other people who kind of went through the same thing that I, I was going through. And, and it I makes think- you like not feel like a weirdo, you know? Cause you feel like a, like a weird, strange person 
when you've gone through all of this and you feel like you're by yourself, but when you know that there are other people who've been through the exact same thing <clears throat> and they feel the same weird pain and trauma and moods and emotions that you go through, then you start feeling like you're not by yourself and, you know, and it's okay. It's okay to feel the emotions that you feel. Yeah. And, and, and that was, it, that was like a big push for me to do the podcast. It was mostly when I realized I told my story, which took forever for me to do, it was really hard. Um, but when I did talk about it, what made me feel better were the people who came to me afterwards and said, Hey, that happened to me too, or, you know, something similar happened. And then they, that kind of helped them start talking about it because I think that's the, the, the number one thing is being able to talk about it will help kind of set you on your path to healing. And, and that's kind of what it did for them. And that's, that's kind of why I started the podcast and, um, yeah. And I feel like, I, I feel like I found my voice and I, I want others to know that they do have a purpose. Just like you said, everyone has their purpose. It's just right. a matter of finding it. Um, when did you realize like, I'm going to do all of these things, work on this legislation, work on, you know, Patrice's kids, like what inspired you? Um, to get that started? Well, it took about 20 something years for me to actually come out and tell, you know, as you know, most survivors don't usually come out to the late thirties, early forties or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, going through therapy and, and seeing that I wasn't alone, I wanted to, to do something purposeful. I wasn't sure exactly what that would be, but, you know, I was thinking about it. And I said, you know, uh, I had been working with kids <clears throat> Uh, at a dance program and I was like you know what if parents can get educated <laughs> if they can learn then maybe they can protect their kids and that's when I said you know what let me start thinking about doing a nonprofit. and I thought about the nonprofit, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do you know it was just like kind of like a thought in my head and I said okay let me start off with giving back to the community uh let me let me start off by uh looking out for kids who are in foster care so like even last Christmas, we did like a huge thing. We had about 300 kids at the studio um, and we gave away like hundreds and hundreds of bikes and scooters and hundreds and hundreds of sneakers. And I gave my, you know, my spill on protect, talking to kids about, you know, if someone touches you inappropriately, uh, you're supposed to tell and tell and keep telling until someone recognizes your pain. Keep telling until somebody listens to you, no matter how painful it is. And I, you know, I was telling the kids, I said, you know, the predator is going to threaten you and tell you not to say not to say anything and make it seem like it's, it's your fault but just imagine if you told someone it would be their fault not yours because you didn't do anything you're you're the innocent bystander you're the child so i figured if i could you know do things like that then it might stick in somebody in one of the children's head and say you know and hopefully that never happens to them obviously we don't want that to happen but if it does they might say that lady told me to tell until someone actually listens to me and keep telling and don't be afraid because I didn't do anything and they're gonna threaten me, but they're not really gonna harm me. They're just saying that because they're trying to scare me. So I figured, so education was the most important thing to me, uh, educating kids, educating parents. And then I had been wanting to write a book for such a really long time, but I didn't know exactly how to start, you know? Yeah, you, you had know? a lot of content. Yeah, um, it took me about four and a half, five months to write the book, which, which yeah. didn't take very long. Because it was my story and I already knew it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, true story. So I knew exactly detailed. So I just, you know, uh, got with the 
publishing company, um, Williams Commerce, out here in um, Houston. And he believed in my dream and um, pretty much just took it from there. Uh, he did the editing, I did the writing, and you know the book was published. Uh, it was a very painful process. I don't want to make it seem like I just wrote it and that was it. No, it's a very painful process. I wrote about four hours a day uh, until I got all the content out. Uh, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of, I can't believe this happened. Did this really happen to me? You know, I went through all of the emotions that you can imagine. But I knew that even if I could help one or two kids or someone, that it would be, there's a purpose, you know? So I decided to just go ahead and write the book. And, and I did it. And, you know, it's, it's been doing really well. I'm happy. Um, uh, and I'm just grateful that I've, you know, I've been able to tell my story and, you know, let people know, hey, this is screwed up. We need to do some, we need to make some changes. Uh, then I got with Gary Greenberg, like I said earlier. Uh, and, you know, he had been working on the Child Victims Act for a while. He spent probably about $100,000 of his own money trying to push legislation. Uh, and, you know, with the rest of us, we got together and there we are. Uh, Governor Cuomo passed the bill um, Valentine, well, in January, and then he signed in Valentine's Day. And so now survivors have up until the age of 50, no, I think it's 53 now, uh, to, you know, um, not prosecute because obviously statute of limitations. We were able to get statute of limitations from 23 to 28 though. So, you know, it's a slow, slow progression, but it's progression nonetheless. And um, that's why you're seeing a lot of people, a lot of kids or, or a lot of survivors who were, you know, kids at one point, obviously they were, uh, abused in the Catholic churches. That's why they're able to go forth and, you know, and go through the Supreme Court and sue through the suing uh, because that's what the bill entails. Uh, so, you know, it's a slow progression, but I'm very happy that at least the bill got passed and it's going to help a lot of survivors like myself and other, you know, and others uh, to sue the entity in which where it happened and sue the person that abused you. Wow. So you be able to seek some form of justice. Money is, money can't do anything for you, literally. It, it doesn't take away anything, no pain, but it, it points you in the right direction to let people know that this person did me wrong and they need to be exposed. Yeah. So that's, that's what it's really about. What, whatever my issue is can be worked on and I'm not just stuck. And that's, that's always very helpful. I'm sure you feel the same way, knowing what's wrong with you and you're like not stuck. You can actually you know, heal from this. You can actually move forward and, and still do positive things in life. You know, I mean, you got your podcast. It's been crack. Congratulations on your magazine. I saw it. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. you. Thank you. you. Know? So, and you know, and, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're letting survivors know, hey, Patrice, Patrice has been through so much trauma. She became an author. She still graduated from school. I can do the same thing. And the same thing with you. You got your podcast. You got a beautiful family. Uh, you got the magazine. I mean, you you're, you're writing, um, you're writing movies, you know, you're like doing big things over there. So this is, you know, it's, it's hope for people who have, who are hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. It, it does really feel good when you have a purpose and, and, and if it's helping, helping others, I think taking your experience and turning it into something good to help others. I think that is, that is, that is life-changing in and of itself. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? Yeah, go on my website, parents, educators, guardians. Uh, if you work in you know, any sector with children, uh, go on my website at patriceskids.com. 
educate yourself. It doesn't cost you a dime to be educated. I have four trainings online right now. They're not going anywhere. They're staying there. So you can go to patricekids.com, sign up for the trainings, get yourself educated. Uh, go check out my book, The Unconscious Community, uh, or Proceeds book. Go directly to Patrice's Kids, uh, Incorporated, my nonprofit. So I don't, I don't take a dime from the book. Uh, it's just to keep re-educating people. Um, so yeah, just go check it out. Instagram, Patrice's Kids. Uh, maybe volunteer, help out some kids in your community, but always give back, you know, no matter what it is. And then the other thing is have empathy for survivors. If you don't understand, don't judge. Don't, 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 don't say, don't say cruel things to people when you have no idea what they've been through, you know, because everybody's been through something. We all have a story, even if it's not child sexual abuse. And we always, you know, we always want someone to have some compassion, empathy. So I would say have empathy for survivors, uh, protect our kids. Uh, educate yourself and just, you know, just try to be a good person and you know, get this next generation on the right path, you know, and let's get away from the toxic behavior. We got to break these generational curses. Oh, wow. Well said. Thank you so much. Again, I, I can't tell you how valuable um, this was. And yes, please go out and purchase the unconscious community. It is amazing. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me. That was Patrice Griffin, trauma survivor, thriver, sexual abuse advocate, author of The Unconscious Community, and founder of Patrice's Kids. For more information on Patrice, including her organization, please visit atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. There you can find her book for purchase. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my monthly magazine, Authentic Insider, for more in-depth inspirational stories and everything mental health. You can also find the podcast in video format on YouTube and IGTV. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and you've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care.